Thank you for listening to this production from New Life Presbyterian Church. If you'd like to find out more, visit newlifepca.org. Well, about a month ago, some of you may know, some others don't, that Stacy, Aaron, Mimi, and I welcomed Isabel into our family. Now, Isabel, we call her Izzy, is a standard poodle that we got from the Spiegels. And as we expected, having a puppy in our home has brought with it a certain element of disruption into our routine. It calls for an adjustment of our schedules and a reordering of the placement of household items that we don't want to get chewed up. And it beckons for an increased tolerance for messiness, both inside and outside our home. Not only have we had to clean up our fair share of accidents in our house, but mowing the grass is a little bit messier and trickier than it used to be. The grass is a little bit more matted and discolored in certain areas than it usually is. But at the same time, having a puppy in our home has brought with it life, an increased frequency of laughter, and an immeasurable amount of enjoyment and reward as well. And this experience has actually served to call to mind a proverb that one of my seminary professors encouraged us to think about when we were in seminary. And being in the middle of a series on the book of Proverbs, I wanted to consider that proverb with you together this morning. You can find that in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 4. Just that one verse this morning, Proverbs 14, verse 4. So if you have your Bibles, you can open them there. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, you should be able to locate a Bible in one of the seats in front of you, in the racks underneath the seats. And in that Bible, the passage is on page 310. So Proverbs chapter 14, verse 4. Just that one verse this morning. I'll be reading from the ESV, but when you find that, please stand for the reading of the Word of God this morning. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 4. Where there are no oxen, the manger is clean, but abundant crops come by the strength of the ox. Where there are no oxen, the manger is clean, but abundant crops come by the strength of the ox. Our great Father in heaven, we pray that you would bless the reading and now bless the preaching of your word for the glory of your name and for the building up of your people. For we ask for the sake of Jesus. Amen. You can be seated. Well, we can recall that the Proverbs dispense wisdom to us for living well in the world that our God has created. But what exactly does this proverb provide for us by way of wisdom? What wisdom does this proverb provide? Well, let me begin simply by saying this. God blesses messes. Maybe more specifically, we could say that our God of wisdom blesses messes with fruitfulness when we order our lives according to his wisdom. Our God of wisdom blesses messes with fruitfulness when we order our lives by his wisdom. So let's explore the wisdom of this proverb this morning by considering first the principle that this wisdom asserts. And then secondly, we're going to look at the folly this wisdom avoids, and we'll conclude with the God this wisdom adores. But let's start with the principle that this wisdom asserts. What exactly are we to make of this proverb? Where there are no oxen, the manger is clean, but an abundance of crops comes by the strength 
of the ox. Or perhaps more woodenly from the Hebrew, we could translate it, wear no cattle, the trough clean, but much crops by the strength of an ox. Now, even if we may sense that we're somewhat removed from the agricultural setting of this proverb, we should still be able to perceive the reality that's reflected here. Without animals in the barn, there's no mess. Simple enough. Without animals in the barn, there's no mess. But where there are no oxen, the top machinery in ancient Israel for farming, there's also no plowing, no planting, and no harvest. If you wanted to have a harvest, if you want to have crops, if you wanted to have a yield of fruitfulness, you had to put up with oxen and their messes. There's no mess-free model of oxen. If you wanted to have a harvest, you had to put up with oxen and their messes. And so today, when we think about what principle this wisdom asserts, perhaps we could say it simply like this. Life is often messy and complicated. So much of life is often messy and complicated. A couple of things we could say in addition to this. Being fruitful and growing isn't usually clean or convenient or hassle-free. Being fruitful or growing, I can't think of many home improvement projects that don't require some kind of mess, but the same is true for us personally and collectively. Fruitfulness and growing is generally not going to be clean and convenient and hassle-free, whether that's physical fruitfulness, relational, emotional, occupational, intellectual, or spiritual growth and fruitfulness. But we could also say this then, wisdom accepts not only that being fruitful and growing isn't going to be clean or convenient or hassle-free, wisdom also accepts that it's possible to be too committed to neatness, to tidiness, to order, to efficiency, to convenience. It's possible to be too committed to these things, not simply by insisting on spotless physical environments, but also by maintaining inflexible order in our schedules, by being emotionally tangle-free, by entering only into undemanding relationships or practicing a spirituality of convenience, a life with no complication and no messes. But to pursue tidiness at the expense of fruitfulness, to prefer convenience now over a harvest later, is not wisdom. The farmer who doesn't want to put up with the headache of having oxen or the hassle of having to clean up after oxen will indeed have a clean manger, yes. But that farmer will have no harvest. A sterile field for the sake of a sterile manger is foolishness. To have a sterile, empty field for the purpose of having a sterile, empty manger is foolishness. And for us to inflexibly insist upon tidiness, neatness, order, convenience, and efficiency is also foolish. Now I know that our type A personalities and our obsessive compulsive types are really having a hard time right now. So let's just be clear. While God may bless messes, it's not true that messiness and sloppiness and disorderliness and carelessness and disorganization 
are set before us as virtuous character traits in Scripture. They're not. These are not to be understood as virtuous character traits. Our God is a God of order. And so it may be true for some of us this morning that we may have to strive for more routine, more order, more efficiency in our lives in order to be a more faithful and a more fruitful image bearer of the God of order that we serve. The manger needs to be cleaned. So clean it. There's a call for order and management there. The manger needs to be cleaned, and it needs to be cleaned routinely. But therein lies the exact problem. Because it's not just true that where there are no oxen, the manger is clean. It's that where there are no oxen, the manger stays clean. It's convenient to just have no oxen because the manger stays clean. There's added hassle and headache to having cattle, to having oxen. But wisdom, wisdom puts up with the headache and the hassle in order to enjoy and experience something more valuable, the harvest. Wisdom puts up with the headache and the hassle and the mess for something greater. Perhaps we could sum it up this way. We forsake wisdom when order and convenience and cleanliness and we could say efficiency become our ultimate goals and ends in themselves rather than as means to fruitfulness, growth, and life. We forsake wisdom when order and convenience and cleanliness become our ultimate goals and ends in themselves rather than seeing them as means to fruitfulness, growth, and life. And so the principle that this wisdom asserts would urge us to be willing to put up with the mess in the barn, would urge us to accept the inconvenient, the inefficient, the messy path, to break with routine if it leads to fruitfulness. And the truth is that sometimes order and tidiness serves fruitfulness and can reflect wisdom. But other times, those things can become an obstacle to fruitfulness. They can get in the way. And a commitment to those things reflects folly. And so let's give a little bit more attention now to the folly this wisdom avoids. Now let me stress again, it is not folly to regard cleanliness and order as good or even godly things. That's not folly to recognize that order and orderliness and efficiency are good things. It is folly, however, to conclude that the supreme virtue that outweighs all other virtue is tidiness, that the main goal in life is to maintain our order over things. And it is folly to conclude that facing the challenges that will ultimately enrich our lives are worth sacrificing on the altar of convenience. That is folly. Because we will forfeit and forsake much of what is good and valuable in life if we're overly committed to tidiness and neatness and order and convenience and efficiency. For example, it is folly to forfeit enjoying a feast if our only reason for not enjoying it is we just don't want to deal with the mess of dirty dishes afterwards. But there is no enjoyment of a feast without some mess 
to clean up. It is folly to refuse learning a musical instrument, or probably more likely, it is folly to refuse someone else the opportunity to learn a musical instrument that you live with simply because you don't want to put up with the noise. But there is no learning of a musical instrument without a period of noise and disorder. That's just part of the stage. But without putting up with that stage, there is no harvest of skill later. There's also folly to forfeit opportunities at intellectual growth or gaining knowledge or improving marketability and employment opportunities simply because we don't want to put up with the headache of going to class, the hassle of sitting through lectures, the difficulty of reading, getting up earlier than we want to, or going to bed earlier than we want to, or possibly staying up later than we want to because work needs to be done. Now, there may be other reasons to avoid feasts and learning to play a musical instrument or bypassing educational opportunities. There may be valid reasons, but if the only reasons are driven by order, tidiness, convenience, then that's a folly that this wisdom would reject. Commitment to these things will also tempt us to determine our parenting by them. Our parenting will be influenced by our commitment to tidiness, to order, and to convenience. Now, I know all of us would say, well, yeah, you shouldn't do that. We shouldn't parent on the basis of order and convenience. But I want to ask you, parents, how many of you have scolded, scolded a child for spilling his or her milk? or dripping a popsicle on a carpet, or a rug, or something of, of similar action. I'm guilty of doing it. Why do we do that? Why do we scold children for that? Is it because it violates such a clear moral principle that it would call for appropriate indignation and outrage? Or is it simply because we don't want to deal with the mess? <laughs> it's inconvenient to have to clean up this mess now. And how much of our parenting, how much of our saying no to our children is driven mostly by convenience in our schedule, by not wanting our routine disrupted, by not wanting to deal with the hassle or the headache of what that request might bring into our life? How much do we say no because we're overly committed to tidiness and neatness and convenience? I'll give a couple of examples. When my son was learning to drive, and he had to complete all of these practice hours and log in these practice hours for driving. I can't tell you how many times we'd walk to the car and I'd be thinking to myself, this is just going to be so much easier and more efficient and smoother and simpler and probably safer if I just drive us. But it would be folly to rob him of those opportunities for growth and development in the enhancement of his life. And in the long run, it helps us out too. But we can be so driven in those moments by convenience and tidiness and order. What about when my seven-year-old daughter asks to help cook in the kitchen? We know it's going to be way more disorderly, less efficient, and a lot more messy. But to deprive her of those experiences in that practice is folly. To deprive her of development in the long run in those moments is folly. But we're so easily driven by those things. 
I'm reminded of a quote by Hall of Fame baseball player Harmon Killebrew, who recalls that when he'd play in the yard, he said, my father used to play with my brother and me in the yard, and mother would always come out and say, you're tearing up the grass. And he remembers that his dad would reply, well, we're not raising grass, we're raising boys. I've always tried to remember that quote from Harmon Killebrew, because dare I say, it is a folly that this wisdom rejects or avoids that would resist playing with kids in order to keep a nicely trimmed, well-ordered, well-kept yard. That would be losing sight of something that wisdom would avoid. An excessive allegiance to tidiness, order, and convenience would also cripple effective leadership. You can't allow these things to shape leadership. An ultimate allegiance to these things will cripple effective leadership because there won't be any employee training. There won't be any delegation to other employees for their growth and development because you know why? It's inefficient. It feels inefficient to do that. The task will take longer when you're delegating to people who need to learn and develop. There'll be no evaluation because it's inconvenient. And there'll be no implementation of change because it disrupts the routine. It's just easier to keep things going as they are. It is. But there's no growth in that. There's no fruitfulness, no increase in fruitfulness in just keeping things going. And perhaps one of the biggest follies that this wisdom avoids is the forsaking of relationships and community. Because relationships are messy. They're disruptive. They introduce these things into our lives. As Paul Tripp writes, being involved with people is time-consuming, messy, and complicated. From our point of view, it is inefficient. But from God's point of view, it's the best way to encourage growth in grace. We will have to make time for these kinds of friendships to grow. Close relationships make it more likely that you will sin against someone or that someone will sin against you. There will, be, there will need to be times of confession and forgiveness. There will be times when you will need to serve someone even though you feel you lack the resources. That sounds inconvenient. That sounds intrusive. That sounds inefficient because relationships can be messy and disruptive and inefficient. Other people challenge our inflexibility. They upset our routines. They invade our space and they create all kinds of stresses and headaches and hassles. And so if we're driven by convenience and order and tidiness, we won't extend hospitality to other people because of the disorder or the reordering that it calls for before or after in our home. And we won't put up with the inconvenience it is to fit that into our already busy schedules. We'll step back from all of the emotional entanglements and relational obligations that building community demands. We'll avoid all that because after all, it's just cleaner without cattle in the barn. And our lives are cleaner without complicated relationships. It's just cleaner. But to forfeit building community and serving others and caring for others well simply because it's cleaner is a folly that this wisdom avoids. That's why some people avoid the church and church involvement. Because relationships in the church are messy and disruptive as well. The church is a community under construction. We all are people under construction. That's why it's so messy. 
If you've ever been to a construction site, you know that it's messy. There's dirt piles laying around everywhere. It's dusty. There are wooden beams lying in random places. There's nails lying around. It is unsightly and potentially dangerous to be there. That's the way relationships are, both inside and outside the church. And perhaps it's just easier. It's simpler. It's cleaner to stay isolated from community. It is easier. But it's folly. And it's folly because ultimately, if our commitment is to tidiness, order, convenience, efficiency, practicality, we will also relinquish love. If our commitment is to these things, we will go without love. The reason relationships are messy is because love is messy and inconvenient and disruptive and impractical, and inefficient, and complex. It's entangling. Relationships are these things because love is this way. Some of you may have read this quote by C.S. Lewis before. I know Tim Keller has quoted it. Lewis writes, To love it all is to be vulnerable. That's to risk disruption, emotional disruption at least. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. That's untidy. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, read proper order. You must give it to no one, not even an animal, not oxen, not Izzy. Don't give it to anybody if you want it to stay intact. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. You want another word for entanglement? Messes. Avoid all relational messes. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But here's the folly. In that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless. It'll change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. Lewis goes on to say in this passage, the only place outside heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all the dangers, and I would add all the messes of love, is hell. In this world, love is messy. And we know that because of the God this wisdom adores. The God this wisdom adores. I don't want you to see that other point there, so I'm going to go back. In light of 1 Corinthians 14.33, we know that our God is not a God of confusion, He's a God of order. And we know later in 1 Corinthians 14, 40, that order and organization are good things. To do things decently and in good order are good things. But we also know from Scripture that God acts by the wisdom of this proverb. God acts by the wisdom of this proverb. He doesn't avoid the mess. And he demonstrates this in the gospel. When Jesus took the messy way rather than the tidy way, rather than the convenient way. Even though, or maybe because of, maybe because Jesus every step was directed by the word and was ordered by his heavenly father, he was flexible enough to deviate from his plans. He was flexible enough to break with routine if it would help someone in need. Jesus was not so committed to tidiness that he wouldn't touch the unclean. 
if it would lead to healing. Jesus wasn't so driven by convenience that he resisted the demands of love. Even if not resisting those demands meant that he would experience the disgrace of rejection or the suffering of betrayal, even if it meant he would be splattered with the mess of our world, of our lives, of our sin, even if it meant that he would give up his body to be crucified and his blood to be shed on the cross. This table, these elements that we will observe in a few moments, testify to the wisdom of this proverb and to the God this wisdom adores. Jesus stepped into the mess, into our mess, in order that fellowship with him, in order that relationship with him, in order that love could be restored. And so, in Jesus, our God accepted and embraced the mess, the mess of our world, the mess of our lives, the mess of our sin, for the sake of life and for the sake of love. He accepted and embraced the messiness that we encounter for the sake of life and for the sake of love, and he imparts this wisdom to us so that we as his people can do the same. So we can do the same. So for the sake of life, isn't this what the farmer's harvest is all about? The sake of life, the maintaining of life, the enriching of life, for the sake of life and for the sake of love. Welcome, accept, embrace, endure, enter into the mess, be inconvenienced, break with routine, not for the sake of just being messy as a person, not for the sake of disorder, not for the sake of inconvenience, not for the mere sake of these things, but for the sake of life and for the sake of love, love for God and love for other people. Accept, embrace, and endure the mess that's around us like the God this wisdom adores has done for us in Jesus. Is that going to be hard? Yes. Does it mean you're going to have to encounter some headaches and hassles and deal with other people? Yes, but will it be worth it to enter into that mess? Yes, it will be worth it, worth it because our God of wisdom blesses messes with fruitfulness for those who live their lives according to his wisdom. Our God blesses messes. So we can rest in the God who blesses messes. And we can rest in the God who, even though it looks like a mess from our viewpoint, is really divinely ordered with a perfect plan. So in a cosmic way, there really is no mess because God has ordained everything perfectly according to the order of his wisdom. And we can rest in this God not only because he orders all things, but because he himself has stepped into this mess to give us life and because he loved us. And we can rest in him because he's with us in the midst of that mess. And we can rest in him because we know that in due season, we will reap a harvest of fruitfulness and righteousness when we enter into the mess like Jesus did for us for the sake of life and for the sake of love. Let's pray. Our God in heaven, we thank you for your wisdom. We thank you for the call that this proverb has upon our life to enter into the messiness of relationships, the complexity of people's lives around us 
for the sake of life and for the sake of love because you have done that for us. We thank you for this table that reminds us of that. We pray that you would bless our observance of it now. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.